The Giant. Thinkers. Giant Thinkers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hey Giants, welcome to episode number 82. If this is the first time you're tuning in, thank you so much for being here. My name is Ram Castillo and this podcast explores the decision-making of people who have been exposed and are experienced in a particular expertise or specialization. It is my deep belief that giant living requires giant thinking. And if that resonates with you, you might enjoy the portfolio of guests we've had on the show from Kelly Slater to Shark Tank investors, to Olympians, to musicians, to designers, creatives, and leaders of all types. Now, today's guest is a food technologist and the co-founder and managing director of Twisted Healthy Treats, a company that started back in 2009. Twisted are obsessed with creating Australia's best tasting frozen desserts that are actually good for you. All their products are made from natural ingredients and are all Australian made and 100% Aussie owned. Her background is in large scale project management within the financial services industry, but always dreamed of having her own company ever since she was a child. Fast forward 10 years, she is a mum of three. Twisted now manufacture and sell take-home tubs, multi-packs, and single-serve cups to over 5,000 outlets across Australia, including a national distribution deal with Woolworths and more recently Costco Australia and Coles Supermarkets. They are also the only ice cream style product that is approved for sale in school canteens by the Australian government. 2 million Australian school kids enjoy Twisted Yogurt in their lunch break. So some of the topics we spoke about include what to consider when entering the frozen dessert category, how to set yourself apart from the many health food brands available, the journey of how long it can take from ideation to first product in market, and the testing, iteration, and validation involved, pricing decisions and cost structures, processes, prioritization, managing, and a whole heap more. So if you're someone that has some seriously giant aspirations and are interested in the fusion of product innovation, food, and running a business, then this episode is for you. Now, a quick note from me, if we aren't connected yet on Instagram, I invite you to follow me on there. My handle is TheGiantThinker, and I share daily posts and stories on helping decision makers, business owners, and leaders get unstuck lightning fast through human-centered design methodologies, creative strategies, and my own personal experiences. Send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. Again, you can find me on my handle, TheGiantThinker. Alrighty, let's get straight into it. I present to you a woman that I very much admire and look up to, the warm-hearted, brave, and resilient Cass Spies. Cass Spies, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. I'm super pumped to have you on the show. This is a long-awaited uh, call of ours and um, stoked that you could be on. How are you? 
I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I'm actually uh, quite, I'm always amazed as how I connect with uh, leaders like yourself. Um, obviously have had on uh, Rachel Bajada from Noshu and, and Janine Alice, Naomi Simpson, uh, you know, real powerhouse women like yourself who are creating businesses that are impacting so many lives. So it is honestly a, a true honor to have you on. First off, Cass, I have an icebreaker question for you. I'd love to know yes, what you're all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't be nervous. Um, although all of these icebreaker questions are originals and I'm not sure if people know that. So I ask all my guests an icebreaker question tailored to you. So yours is, I'd love to know what your all-time favorite dessert is in general, frozen or non-frozen. I would have to go with, oh, it's going to sound boring. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> <laughs> my all-time favorite it's it's a new it's a new favorite dessert my all-time favorite dessert is our brand new sugar-free ice cream and i just i say that with look with that with a grain of salt I, I know it's our product but it's just the older i get the more and more focused i get on my health and i've always always loved a sweet treat and i every time i eat it i, I can't believe that there's no sugar in it and i just i just feel so nourished and so happy and so healthy after I've eaten it and it really satisfies it just ticks so many boxes for me so that is absolutely my all-time favorite dessert and can I ask what flavor chocolate chocolate I'm, I'm a chocolate girl now is this what you sent me Cass so for the listeners the Cass yes. the licks they're called licks yeah they're called licks I kid you not, uh, my wife and I tried them. Uh, you kindly sent some samples over the vanilla latte um, yes. and then the do double chalk. Yes. Blew me away. Honestly, yeah. it, it really did. And I'm not just saying that. You have to try it. Yeah, you actually just have to try it to believe it. Um, and it's not your typical sort of like ice blocky um, textured uh, dessert where it, it compromises on the creaminess. It, it tasted creamy. Yeah, well, there's cream in it. So that, I mean, it just yeah. is, just, look, we had a lot of fun coming up with that formulation. We tried lots and lots of versions, which, you know, is um, not, you know, it's, I have to say that's one of my favourite parts of the job. Um, but, you know, we're, I'm incredibly proud of what we came up with. Uh, so, yeah, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Well, we're going to dive into topics around how you validate and iterate products uh, in a sec. But uh, for those that aren't familiar with, with you and Twisted um, as much as I am, where would you say your expertise lies? I think I'm a very, I think I'm probably a, a, an expert at project management and pulling people together and knowing how important it is to have the right people in the team and the right people in the room. And that is, I guess that's where my, my, I mean, my roots, I did a degree in food technology, but my first 13 years of working life was spent in projects and project managing, um, nothing to do with the food industry, but, but in that um, very sort of corporate style, large global project management space. And I think that's where I really, learnt to hone my skills and I think that is something that I um that's a skill set that I dip into every single day at Twisted is is bringing the right people um 
to the table and knowing that I absolutely do not have all the answers and I need good people to surround me if I'm going to achieve the goals that I want to achieve with Twisted. Perfect. I have so many questions about that, but I will park them in for a sec and uh, add a little bit more context. Uh, Can you share to us about your childhood, how you grew up and some of the things that perhaps have led you to where you are today? Sure. So I... Um, I'm one of three girls. I'm the eldest of three girls. I have two beautiful sisters, one who lives in Sydney and one who lives in London. I grew up in a family um, with a father who is still um, what I would say a serial entrepreneur. So he always, always had his own business. And I think that is where the the fire in my belly came for wanting to have my own business um, for, for For as long as I can remember, I've always said as a little girl, I wanted to have my own business. So I went to school, did my HSC, decided to go to university, did a degree in food technology at the University of New South Wales here in Sydney, and then promptly moved to London where I spent the next 13 years um, having a a wonderful, wonderful time traveling the world and working in uh, investment banking, actually. And that's where my project management skills were honed. So I think I got to London, looked at a couple of jobs in the food industry and was just, I guess, shocked at um, how little the food industry paid and also where those jobs were based way, way outside of central London. So it was right around the dot-com um, period where jobs in technology were relatively easy to get and that that's how I began my journey into corporate um, and it wasn't until we came back to Australia 13 years later that I really had an opportunity to um, to, to start something of my own and um, and that was when Twisted was born and we got back to Australia uh, almost 11 years ago. And may I ask what did your father uh, get involved in as a serial entrepreneur? Oh, he's around, he's done everything. So he has done, um, he had an, he had an ironing board cover business where he sold ironing boards to big soup, to the supermarket chains. He had a, um, he did like a budget cosmetic range, uh, in, um, supermarkets again, but also in chemists. He has had a conference center, he has had a restaurant. Uh, I mean, he has done just, you know, from A, a to Z, he has had a go. And um, I guess that's where I have learned so much about what it takes to be an entrepreneur in terms of getting knocked down and getting straight back up, if not the same day, at least the next day. <laughs> love it. I love it. It's funny because... Um, as a as a designer um, and 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 listeners are from partially that background, partially from creative backgrounds and 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 really interested in progressing to starting their own businesses and um, and entrepreneurship is the all encompassing areas of finding opportunities really that can be improved and commercializing that um, and making it feasible viable viable desirable sustainable all those things um, I often think about the the people that influence us and and, and that story that you just shared of, of the things that your dad tried reminds me of even when, when 
our, you know, potentially our grandparents or our great grandparents who had to hustle and do stuff, but they didn't call it that. They just ended up doing the things that they had to do to survive. So my grandma had a little corner store and it was open from four o'clock in the morning in the Philippines would close at 10 PM at night. And in between she would sneak in to, to do some tailoring to, to custom make dresses and whatnot for the local, local um, people in, in the village. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, you almost need to try and see where, where you can apply your, uh, your entrepreneurial spirit. Um, it's great that your dad did that. Um, so I have to ask, why did you pursue of all the things that you could have pursued, um, and applied your expertise? Why did you pursue frozen desserts in its category? Um, I think there's two, there's two real answers to that. Um, so the first answer is I was, I had, um, it was 11 years ago, I had really tiny children um, at the time and I was looking for a healthy treat that I could give my kids and not feel any guilt. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in balance. You know, I'm, I'm still happy for my children to enjoy desserts and um, treats on occasion, but if I can do if there's anything around the edges that I can do to make sh- to, to eliminate, um, you know, some of the nasties in those treats, then that then that's always a good thing, and it makes me feel good as a mother. So there was a real white space in that category when I was at that stage um, of my children, and I and I was wondering what I was going to do next with my life at that point. Then the next sort of part of that story that plays very strongly into that is that um, Janine Alice is one of my, for me, she, she is just an absolute legend in the industry and just did the most amazing. She just created the most amazing business with Boost Juice. And it was something that I always had aspired to. And I had the idea of um, rolling out a franchise network of frozen yogurt and smoothie bars across Australia. And that's how we started with Twisted. So we had stores with retail locations for the first, really, for really for the first half of the journey. Um, and the deeper, I guess I got into that business model, the more and more respect I had for Janine, because there is a black art to making a business like that a success. And it, and it wasn't something that I was able to pull off. It, it was a, it was a very hard, um, uh, period of time and part of the journey which we did it was it was an incredibly um, difficult period both personally and financially well uh, I say that because um, well a um, I've interviewed Janine on here and she shares that difficulty with great detail uh, so listeners can have a listen to that but but on, on your journey of being inspired and then trying to make um, it happen, because I actually remember you had a store in Bondi and we I went to that and it was yeah. the walk-in, get your frozen, frozen yogurt. Um, and so you're no longer operating in that regard. It's, it's now purely FMCG, right? We had five stores at one stage. We basically had a portfolio of stores where some stores were making a small amount of money and some stores were losing a large amount of money. But uh, I look and look for a long time. I regretted going down that path, but you shouldn't you shouldn't have regrets in life, and we wouldn't have the business we have today if we hadn't done if we hadn't done that. So what we 
sore from having those businesses was that people like to take our product home and enjoy it in the comfort of their own home. And if we hadn't had those stores, I don't think I, don't think I would have had the courage to um, build the FMCG wholesale side of the business to the point that we have built it today. So, um, you know, whilst it was a, a, a challenging period, you know, it, it is absolutely has shaped the culture of the business and, and, and me as a person and where we are today. It's a powerful insight, isn't it? Yeah. And I think I just, I think about other brands where you see, sure, you see lines outside of Messina, for example, but they really push for the tubs to take home in the, in the half a kilo, one kilo cakes take, you know, and, and online deliveries and that type of thing. It's a really, really good insight. I mean, if I may sort of dig a little deeper, what do you think was a fundamental lesson that you learned that, that really um, was a challenge to overcome as you were building that franchise model? Um, I think I definitely did not put enough um, emphasis on um, the, the amount of innovation and change that those QSR restaurants are constantly going through. And I think to be able to support that amount of innovation and change and sort of operational efficiency um, is something that's quite difficult for a startup to be able to to, to reach those sort of dizzy heights. I mean, you're going up against, well, I was going up against Boost, but you're going up against McDonald's, you're going up against Grilled, you're going up against all these, you know, you know, larger brands that have got support systems, innovation teams, massive marketing budgets. Um, and I think, I think that's probably um, where we got to in the end. And I guess, you know, there's, the other thing is obviously they probably have serious teams of negotiators that go in and do the deals with the, with the shopping centres and, and that's, that's, that's a massive part of whether or not you're going to make any money, what sort of deals you can do on your real estate. So, I mean, there are so many lessons learned. Uh, the, the fact that, we, that, that I came out of it with a team of um, my team actually that I still have here today that are running the business here um, at our factory are the same team that helped me run the stores. So, you know, I've managed to, we've landed in a place where culturally I have this great team that have been with, with me during the ups and the downs. And I think that just gives um, so much more heart and um, direction to, to where we're taking the business today. Beautiful. Now, Cass, as a business owner, how do you set yourself apart uh, from, especially now more than ever, all the many health food businesses that are flooding the market. And I say that because so many have on the packaging, you know, sugar-free or, um, you know, gone to the days where it's just low GI. It is, it is now, if it's organic or made from this type of product, or if it doesn't have these nasty things in it. So how, how have you and, and, and Twisted positioned itself um, in the, the health food space? Um, I would have to say we, we never, ever stop innovating um, and making changes to our product to ensure we are absolutely best in class. So I'll give you a good example. We have 
um, our frozen yogurt product, I'm just looking for some packaging. We have our frozen yogurt product that we sell into school canteens and into a national retailer. Um, and we recently did some changes to the formulation to take it from a three and a half health star product to a four health star product. And we added, we took the amount of yogurt that we were putting in the product from some, I think we were at about 17% yogurt. We're now at about 32% fresh yogurt in our product. So I think what I'm very passionate about is making sure that we are always best in, in our class. And I think one of the most important things that we talk about a lot here um, with, with my team is that taste is the absolutely the number one reason that people are going to buy your product and, and repeat and do it and repeat purchase your product. So you could be the healthiest product in the world. If it doesn't taste any good, no one's going to buy it. So I think, you know, where the magic happens here is that we are a great tasting product that is healthy as opposed to a healthy product that we've made, we've tried to make taste great. And I think that's probably one of the things that sets us apart. So good. <laughs> that's really, really powerful. Yeah. That just makes sense. It does. And I think, um, wow, now I'm going through all the products that I buy that, um, that because I try to really eat healthy and I've, and right now I'm going through this, this heavy duty, you know, gut health detox thing, but I'm, I'm always very conscious of that. That's going to sit with me for a while. So I'll, I'll reflect on that. That's really, really cool. Um, now on that, on that thinking as a consumer you know, myself, what, what should I and others uh, look for and, and what are really the key things that set trustworthy brands apart because i've noticed that some brands when i look at the ingredients it's they've claimed something on the front and at the back it doesn't really connect with me as a as a viable thing and it, maybe it's in the percentage or the, the the type of other things in it that isn't um acknowledged what what are the things that we should look for um to to ensure that we aren't getting sort of gypped by some lovely packaging or, or claim? Um, look, I think it's consumers now more than ever should be looking at ingredients listing. Um, it is possible to make shelf-ready products that aren't don't have ingredient lists that, as long as your arm, with words that you can't even pronounce. Um, and that's something that we really focus on. Um, you know, if we only put an ingredient in, in, in if it's absolutely required. If it's not, then it doesn't go in. I think consumers, I think there's a lot of really exciting things happening in the sugar-free space, um, which is really exciting. Um, I think it is possible to make a great tasting, delicious, sweet treat without being loaded with refined sugar. Um, and I think the other thing that I think consumers are really focused on, and I got this sense um, quite strongly from some marketing work that we did during lockdown is that consumers are very, very committed and focused on purchasing local and, and supporting local manufacturers, which I think is a really exciting thing for us because we are very, I'm very passionate about making sure everything we can source from Australia does come from Australia. But I think now more than ever, as a result of the recent COVID um, lockdown, I'm finding that that really resonates with consumers much, much more and actually translates into sales at the register, which is really exciting. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I have been plugging Australian 
made products for that very reason. Um, because, and I, and I think it's different if you are a business owner, you can empathize with supporting more so local. Um, yes. and, and then of course the backdrop that is COVID just amplifies the, uh, the compounding empathy there as well. Um, now let's get into the, the nitty gritty technical stuff here. So how long did it take from starting twisted, uh, as a, as a viable business, how long did it take from the idea that you had and, and I believe you, you officially started in 2009. Is that correct? When you were officially operating? Yeah, that's right. And how how long did it take from sort of the idea, the the real fire in your belly of wanting to do something and then getting your first product in market? I had the idea for Twisted um, in the, I think it was like the April and we had our first store opened um, in the November. So it happened quite quickly, but the, the development of the brand and the um, development of the recipes, as you know, it did it did sort of happen organically as we opened, okay. and as I had, you know, more and more people on the team and people bringing different ideas, I sort of brought that in in into the business, and we sort of we sort of grew the business as we were sort of trading through those first few years. Uh, in terms of a, 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 a real um, FMCG product that I could be really proud of. I mean, I think I, even today, probably the products that are on the shelf now are the, the one, uh, you know, I've never been prouder of what we've done and that's taken, you know, if, if, I, if I don't count the retail part of the business, it's really taken me sort of five, five to six years to have a product with packaging that I like, that with packaging that's really smashing it out of the park with a formulation that is, um, you know, best in class, you know, it's, that's taken me nearly, you know, I'd say probably five or six years. Yeah. And I think that's an important piece of context because you, you did have a product that was more um, on the go and then yeah. one that is grab and go that's in the freezer, the formulation. Yeah. It's completely different. Would, would definitely be so. And so let's take a, an FMCG product then let's go there. What did the testing and validation and then the final iteration look like? So we do quite a bit of focus group um, work um, with, uh, look, I obviously do a lot of focus group work with my um, my sort of immediate circle. So a lot of my friends and their children will get products, my products to try. Um, my children, obviously, to see whether or not they enjoy it, they, they are always trying new things. Um, we, but then we sort of go further afield and do focus groups, different demographics, um, people with children and people without, um, uh, you know, um, young consumers, older consumers, uh, you know, a group of consumers that I'm really interested in the mo- in at the moment are um, people suffering with diabetes. I think, you know, there's a huge um, and growing uh, part of the population that is impacted by diabetes and I think you know there's a real opportunity to to provide um, products into the market for those guys so focus groups are are really important because you know when you're working with a product each and every day um, you you don't have a it's very difficult to sort of stand back and get a clear um, and um, a, a clear view on how a product is going to be received so I think that's a really important part of what we do. And, and in the testing, especially with kids, they're, uh, 
hopefully they can be brutally honest, right? That's what you want. <laughs> very, very honest. They'll either go, it's very, very yummy or it's not at all. <laughs> and, though, and that's interesting. So our best-selling um, frozen yogurt in school canteens is our watermelon and mango cup. It's two flavours of yogurt in a cup, watermelon and mango. Now, I would never, ever, ever choose to eat that flavour. I would never, ever have chosen to put those two flavours together. But it's the most popular flavour amongst kids. So it's a real... You know, that just goes to show that it's just, you know, you have to be open to these um, to, to ideas that people bring to you because that, that has ended up being our best-selling can, uh, school canteen frozen yogurt. And I guess reaffirming that we're not designing for us, we're designing for the needs of the, the people um, that we serve. And yep. so, okay, talk me through the food innovation side of the, the testing. Um, are you, because... I did dive into a bit of this with, with there's some similarities with uh, how Rachel Bajada started founder of Noshu and just the enormous amount of testing of, of, of ratio of ingredients. Talk us through that because it seems like even when you did retail, you'd still have to do a fair amount of that. You do. And it's, it can be quite a frustrating process because, um, because it's, you know, it's hard work to run a trial and then you run a trial and, the product didn't hold air the way you thought it would or you run a trial and it tastes great before you turn it into an ice cream. We do a lot, um, I mean, the guys that work here, we eat a lot of um, uh, like liquid ice cream, which sounds gross, but you get I kind, of, kind of get used to it. To try and get a, a taste of the profile of the product before you put it through an R&D machine or before you put it through a, a commercial trial in our production line. So, but, you know, it's not until you actually go through with the trial and, and you know, you know the all the equipment is dirty, so then you need to clean it. You know, there's a there's a lot of that that goes in and you, and you could be tweaking something by a, a gram or two to, to get the final product. So it's a, it's a slog. R&D is a slog. What's the baseline, Cass? Where do you start? Do you go, I've made this at home. Now I'm going to take it to the, the team. Like who's, how, are you the, the, the sort of um, initiator there? I think I probably initiate a lot of the sort of um, I spend a lot of time looking at the like the US ice cream um, frozen dessert industry fascinates me and I spend a lot of time watching what they're doing because I do think that Australia in in the in this category the Australian market tends to tends to follow where the US is going um, and so I will often have some harebrained ideas coming out of some stuff that I've seen happening overseas and I'll bring it to the team. And we have a, I have um, one, one of the um, ladies on my team here runs all our R&D testing on the line. Um, I have a really um, a very um, experienced formulator that will dip in and out and have a look at the formulations that we come up with and give us advice as to whether or not he thinks it's going to run. And so, it's, as I said, it's a real team effort. So it's me, it's um, the R&D team here locally on the ground and, um, you know, someone who has, you know, 30 or 40 years experience in the ice cream industry. And I think that's what really, that's where the magic comes from, bringing those, uh, bringing the three of us together, that, that we're really the ones that run the R&D. Beautiful. And look, I guess for those listeners um, here listening now, the the context was you said around five years, right? When you package everything together, when you've done all of that. So it's certainly not an overnight thing, uh, nor not- is it a, 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 a probably a one year thing to get it 
shipped and, and ready. Uh, now let's chat a little bit about the financial side. Um, if, if you don't mind, Cass, you know, did you have any external capital raising or was it self-funded? And, and what's the sort of range that, that you had to look at before you hit the, the go button? Um, I didn't ha- I didn't do any external capital raising. Um, I was, my, my father and I went, are partners in the business. So we initially, the two of us put in the seed capital um, for the business, but it, uh, but it has been a real journey. We have, we have grown the business organically. So I haven't been, I haven't done any, um, you know, I haven't had done any P fundraising um, at this stage. Um, and Look, I, I have had moments where I thought maybe I should have. Um, and it has been challenging. It absolutely has been challenging at times. But um, we are where we are at the moment. And right now we're, um, we're, we're still fully funded and a, a private company without any external um, investment. Brilliant. And did you, I mean, would you advise a particular range for people if they were to start out? Um, to, to explore their own sort of frozen product like this in the market or any product in the market? Is there a, you know, a, a sort of range that you think, okay, I, I would have had this much minimum? It depends, right? So, and this also comes because of the way that we've grown the, the business organically. You know, I, pro- I produce everything myself. Well, I say that myself, I shouldn't say that. My team produces everything for me here on site. We have our own machinery, which costs us a lot of money that we invested in two years ago. I don't use a contract manufacturer. Um, and I think that probably is something that sets us apart. If I was to start a, a business now um, from scratch, a food business, I would absolutely look at using a contract manufacturer until I got some sort of traction in the, in the, in the market, proved to myself that the business would be able to sustain um, a level of debt where you can go and buy your own equipment and then and then probably bring it in-house. But um, so, so it's kind of difficult to put a number on it, but I think that would definitely be a piece of advice that I would give anyone looking at starting a food brand right now is see if you can get someone to make it for you or rent a small, part, a small, small, a small space in a test kitchen or, um, you know, don't go and sign a lease. Don't go and rent a forklift. Don't go and build a clean room that you need to, um, you know, and then you have to build a quality system and get that approved. You know, there's just, it just goes on and on and on. So I think there's, there is a lev- a period of time for a, for a startup where I think it's important to establish to yourself as the founder, you know, does this business have legs? That's good. It's good advice. Now, when we talk about pricing um, on this sort of subject matter of, um, of financial uh, related matters. How did you navigate your product pricing and cost structure? Um, I'd have to say experience. So, I mean, I guess I've uh, look. I, we've been we've been through um, a full. We've really done a full circle. We twisted. So, when I launched this product into Woolworths five years ago, we were a lot more expensive on the shelf, and it didn't sell. And I think um, in grocery, it's about, it's about volume. It's not about margin. And I also am incredibly passionate about making sure healthy products are accessible for everyday Australians. And I think that is something that is really um, separating brands on the shelf today 
you know, at Twisted, we're in, we, I'm very passionate about democratising the price of our products so that people can afford them. And, you know, I personally think $12 for a tub of ice cream is too expensive. I was just going to say that. <laughs> uh, like uh, you might buy it once, but you're not going to put it in your shopping trolley every week. And I want people to buy Twisted every week. So um, we do everything we can working with our supply chain to make sure we're getting the absolute best um, price every step, of, every step of the way. And, um, you know, the profit margins aren't huge. But by the time you've marketed your product and they're not big, but, you know, grocery, that channel isn't about massive profit margin, massive margins. It's about massive volume. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. But, um, yeah, I guess I learned the hard way. Can we dive into that hardware a little bit more? So you, you priced it a bit too high at the beginning. It wasn't selling. And so the supermarkets will give you hurdle rates, you know, how many units per store per week you need to sell. And if you're not hitting that, then they're going to delete you. Is that right? Yeah. And that's a scary conversation to have. How much time do they give you for that? Oh, sort of. well, I mean, look, both, both the national retailers in Australia have been very good to me. They've, they've really given me an opportunity to establish the brand. Um, I don't know, six to 12 months. Yeah. But yeah, not I mean not long. And as the, is that is that target that you as the brand uh, that that requires a minimum amount to sell is it is it uh, fair? Would you say, or is it quite excessive and like fingers crossed the whole way? No, no, no it's realistic. It's it's okay. doable. Doable. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. No, it is. But that's how you kind of live and die by the sword of how many how many units per store per week you're selling. Um. And it's achievable. There's no, I mean, there's no point for them to set a hurdle that isn't achievable. But, you know, they're, they're, particularly in the freezer where I am, shelf space is an absolute premium. So they want to sell as much out of their, they want to sell as much out of each square footage of their stores as they can, right? So that's where they're coming from. Um, and if you're not the right price, you, you, you're, just not, you're just not going to sell. A few things come to mind here, Cass. So the first is, um, briefly, can you just chat about, okay, so you priced high and then you, you, you reduced that and then really um, understood that it was a volume game. Uh, what were the sort of marketing initiatives around that to get people to start buying as you dropped the price as well? Was there anything outside that you did? Uh, where uh, I invest quite heavily in social media marketing. Okay. All right. I have done everything from billboards to magazines to we did a bus once. Um, I have done um, PR. I've, I've done everything. Okay. And for me, the absolute biggest bang for the buck for a business of my size is... Social media. Social, yeah. Paid, paid, not, not organic, paid. Yes, brilliant. Very and, and so you started to see a shift in that. Once you reduced the price a bit, you started uh, really distributing your um, content through social and paid yeah. advertising, that type of thing. Yeah. The, the other thought I, that I wanted to chat with you just triggered in me now is what, a, what about the brands that leave themselves vulnerable to just partnering with grocery chains and then 
if these large grocery chains are quick to say time to ditch ya didn't get the numbers there and who, and who who don't have yeah who don't have any other channels of revenue well but the the flip side of that is my very recent um experience during covid so we as i've mentioned a couple of times we have a product in school canteens about 5000 school canteens across the country sell our cups it's a really important part of the business and who would have thought 12 months ago that school canteens whatever schools would have closed not me i thought it was an incredibly safe business to be in so thank god i had a product in supermarkets which is the flip side of what you're saying because our school canteen business went from like i was just the, on a really wonderful sales trajectory to zero overnight zero yes. So, you know, I think it's really important for businesses in Australia because of the size of our population, I think it's important to diversify wherever you can. Yeah, I think that's a huge lesson then. It's yeah. it's almost like you had... Supermarket saved me in that, in that yeah. example. Yeah, wow, I wouldn't... <laughs> Perfect example. What a new scenario to be in. Um, so, in effect, there's, there's wholesale um, distribution and then you've got your retail... Is that yeah. something that you you strongly advise to make sure that you've got distribution channels like that that are varied? Is that what you mean for as diversify? Yeah, if you can, if you can, yeah. What about direct to consumer? I would love to, and in my next life, I'm going to develop a product that isn't frozen. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. We can't. I would love to. We can't sell our product online. Is we that can. because of the contracts you're in? No, because how do I get it to you? Then I have to pack it in dry ice and that costs loads of money and then I've got to get it in a courier and it's going to it's going to be on your doorstep and it's going to melt by the time you get home. Got it. In my next life, I'll do a muesli bar or something and I'll be able to send it to you in the post. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, just as good if you're in the, the biggest uh, grocery stores in the freezer, yeah. right? But so If we could do online, I would. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of, yeah. A food, you know, people with startups could could definitely get a lot of volume out of online. Yeah, I mean, and you've got a time frame, right? So you've got they're they're frozen. Yeah. Um, now, when I think of FMCG products, I I often think about efficient systems and processes. Are there any systems or processes that weren't being implemented at the beginning of your business, but are now? And you obviously you mentioned some machines and things like that, but what are the things that really are sort of the the the, the bloodline of, your, of the, the beating heart of your business in terms of operations any systems come to mind um it's all kind of machine machinery related i i think um i think you know when i look back when we first started working with woolworths we had to do direct deliveries which is hard work now we do palletize lots into a distribution center so that is the sort of and so you know those direct deliveries used to take a lot of time from from a logistics standpoint here in the office organizing the truck making sure it arrived invoicing chasing up you know what 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 are we doing whereas if you're going pallet lot into a central distribution center and then out then there's one delivery one invoice you know one that 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 is the sort of thing that can revolutionize your operations, you know, overnight. 
So you were delivering to a, for example, a Woolworths warehouse? Yeah. No, no, we were delivering to, we first started at Woolies, they gave us, I think, 30 stores or 35 stores in Sydney Metro, and we were delivering direct to those stores. Individually? Yeah, to try and prove ourselves, yeah. Because it's a really, <laughs> it's a really, it's a really big deal to get a, uh, they tell you this, it's a really big deal to get a, uh, a space, in, a pallet space in their freezers. Wow. And what do you do now? Oh, we send, oh, depend, depends on the week, but we'd be sending, you know, between 10 and 20 pallets a week. So to Woolies. So, it, I mean, it obviously depends on the season, but so, but, but to get to that point, we had to prove ourselves in 25 to, to, to I think it's 25 stores. Got it. Got it. And are you, but are you shipping to a single location? No. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So I ship to, there's a New South Wales distribution centre. There's a distribution centre in Victoria, SA, Queensland. Yeah, and we ship to those each week. Perfect. Uh, and you're also a mum of three. Is I that am. correct? Yes. How, how old are your kids? Uh, my daughter is 12. My eldest son is 10 and my youngest son is seven. Brilliant. How do you prioritise critical tasks in the business and also not being the bottleneck in your business while also juggling being a mum? I don't think I'm, I don't think I've traditionally been very good at that, I have to say. And I also, I mean, I think I've mentioned COVID a lot of, a lot during this interview, but I really, I, I ran the business remotely for eight weeks during lockdown and um. I really, I really, um, what, what it did was to teach me that I, I wasn't that I didn't trust my team, but that they have, they can run the business. I don't need to be here getting involved in tasks that I may have been involved in, in the past. So I think it's a difficult thing when you're growing a business and as you grow, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a very hands-on kind of a person, so I'm involved in everything and then we grow a bit. So we get someone to help take that and then, I'm just sort of still sticking my nose into those sort of areas of business that I don't really need to stick my nose into. And I think what, what the lockdown did was gave me a real, uh, it gave me some space, I guess, to, and it gave the team here some space to, to, to sort of grow and shine and, and grow into their roles as much as I grew into mine. And I think um, I became less of a bottleneck during that period. And I'm trying to really sort of maintain a lot of those um those ways of working that we, that we implemented during that, that period where I was remote for eight weeks. Yeah. Well, I ask because it's such a common, uh, such a common position where business owners, especially small business owners, uh, they don't, the intention isn't to micromanage, but it ends up being involvement yeah. in everything. And then there's obviously the, the narrative that's, Oh, well, it's quicker if I do it myself that's no good when you want to scale or it's that there's the narrative of, Oh, you know, if I do it, it's going to be of better quality or it's going to be done better. It's, you know, others aren't going to do it as well as me. I mean, I, I often find myself doing that with, with many things when I can delegate that um, and, and certainly improving. Do you have any, and, and sure COVID has done that to, to so many people where it's like, Oh, actually we can operate virtually in, in yeah. a lot of these um, in a lot of these processes. Um, what's, what's the narrative now for, for if you had to share to others who are struggling to let go of control, um, you mentioned, mentioned trusting your team. Um, 
and they've certainly proved themselves during this time. Uh, have you got any, any thoughts around that? Just that, um, you know, I've got aspirations to grow this business to, you know, some dizzy heights and I'm never, ever going to be able to do that if I'm down in the weeds. And, I, you know, I also had some really um, inspirational ideas about new products and where we could take the business when I wasn't sort of here in the operations, in, in the mud, in the mosh pit, you know, every day, you know, dealing with all oh, this truck site, that truck site. You know, I've got a great team of people around me to deal with that. And I think, you know, I guess it's advice to myself as well. You know, I need to really let everybody you know, stay in their lane and do what, what they've been brought in to do. And then I should be staying in my own lane as well and, you know, and go off and lead the business to the next sort of phase. I think that's a really important thing for me to think about. Yeah. Role, role clarity, right? Yeah. And speaking of people, does, does anything come to mind? I mean, I'm really um, moved that you've had a team for so long and have stayed with you. Uh, do you have any thoughts around, um, advice or insights of hiring and keeping quality staff? I really go with my gut when I hire people. Um, and I think, you know, once you find people who are quality and tr you can trust and most importantly believe in your dream, I think you need to do everything you can to hold on to them and not and not to the detriment of the business, of course, but by that I mean continuing to offer them new challenges, um, you know, push them into new roles that they may not have thought that they could do, um, you know, make sure they grow with you um, and the business. And I think that's that's something that I really try and do every day with my guys. Yeah, brilliant. Love that. Um, sticking with your gut. Um really vetting for, for quality in the individual, um, someone that you can trust. And, um, and then your, your other point then was around making sure that they um, have challenges, growth opportunities, yeah, that important. they're buying into the vision, that they support you. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, now, was there ever a tipping point that comes to mind where it was a significantly notable hurdle that, that took you to an enormously challenging place, uh, perhaps even at the point of you genuinely considering giving up? Um, and if so, how did you respond to that situation? Well, there's been a fair few. <laughs> I don't know which one to talk about. Um, I, think, I think probably the, the, the most notable one was right around the time when we were closing um, our original store in Bondi Beach and moving to the factory where we are now, I was incredibly nervous about um, the direction of the business and where we were going. And right around that time, uh, one of the mothers from my children's school asked me if I could drop off some yogurts for the school for their canteen. And I almost, almost didn't do it. I, I thought, oh, I don't know, like I was at a very low point of the business. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd sort of kind of lost my love for the whole twisted thing. But, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered doing this. So I rang my dad and he said, just drop off some yogurts to see what happens. And I dropped off some yogurts. They sold out that lunchtime. She rang me. She said, can you bring some more? So I did. I bought some more. And the following week I was on canteen with 
um, another amazing woman and she said to me, you need to go to every school canteen in Sydney and sell these yogurts. So off I went with my frozen yogurts in my um, car and went to school canteens and I got we got 70 school canteens as direct businesses and then we got picked up by distributors and that is that was the thing that changed the business. That was the thing that changed the course of the business. Okay. Now, I just thought this interview was, we've, we've, we've gotten some good juice out of this. <laughs> Cass, you've been, you've been holding off on me there. So yeah, that was, that was the moment that everything changed. Oh God. So hold on a minute. So you're in tears. You, you, you said that, you know, you, I don't even want, know if I want to pursue this twisted thing and off you go. It's just like we have tried everything with those retail outlets, no matter what we did, no matter how much of our heart and soul we threw into those stores, it didn't make a difference. What year was this, Cass? Beginning of 2015. Cracky. So you did a good five to six years and then you thought, uh-oh, we're in, we're in trouble here. Yeah. Walk-in stores aren't really viable yeah. anymore and feasible for us. And then you, you managed to get a product in tubs that you can sell at, in canteens. And just tell me how, you, how on earth you went from one canteen to 70 and then from there blew up even more. How did you do that? We just kept going to school to schools and knocking on the door and what saying, do you mean are you just literally going hey try these and if they sell then sweet I'm asking, um, you know i've got this healthy frozen yogurt i sell it at my kids school and then i get another few schools so i'd be able to say oh this this school in sydney has it that school in sydney has it and then um now, yeah sorry Cass. walk me through this are you literally you're obviously well i don't know if it's if you're obviously doing this maybe not but are you emailing ahead and going can i pop in Ring the school. What are you doing? Are you you're calling? You're just picking up the phone. Call calling. <laughs> oh my god, that's important, right? That's an important yeah. step right there. So you've done the cold call. They've gone, yeah, pop on over. We'll try your, your frozen yogurts. Obviously, they're flying off the shelves, and that's validation for them. And then that's that relationship established. Yeah. Is that how you did it? Literally, phone yeah. call, drop in, and yeah. then repeat. Samples, follow up. Can I drop some? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how we did it. Oh, and just the lessons there where it's like you don't, you might not know the appetite of the market and how they want it. Yeah. And you just never know. I mean, sometimes it's exhausting if you, you know, if you always walking through the door when opportunity knocks, but you just don't know when that opportunity is going to be the one that can have a big impact. Gosh, I love it. All right. A few more questions, Cass, before we start winding down. Yep. Uh, a question I ask all my guests, if you can travel back in time and speak to your junior self, um, you know, little Cass spies uh, for 30 seconds, perhaps the youngster finishing high school, what would you tell her? Uh, believe in yourself more. Did you find that? I mean, I certainly do, but did you find that you had lack of self-belief back then that you you had to navigate and and, and manage it's not really till i mean i'm about to turn 46 so i would say it's only really in the last couple of years that i've started to have some real self-belief in what i can do wow what do you think influenced that step up to to that space experience experience taking the punches Uh, in a way right yeah yeah it's experience that's so boring to say that but that's really what i think it is 
Well, it's, it's experience equals exposure and conditioning as well. Love that. Who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? That person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential. Oh, my father, 100%. Um, And I would also have to say my husband, he is, um, he thinks without any boundaries and always comes at a problem with a fresh set of eyes and innovative ways of thinking. And he is a brilliant networker. And I think he has also been had a big impact on my life and also the way I run the business. Fantastic. And if, if you don't mind me asking, what does your husband do? He is a partner at Ernst & Young. So he's in oh, his wow. very corporate role. So it's very interesting to see that sort of yin and yang to see how different our sort of working lives are. So, yeah. And, and, a, and a good partnership there yeah. at a professional level too, I, I can imagine. Obviously in the morning when you're shaving. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, so what's next for you, Cass, with everything you're involved in for the rest of the year and beyond? Um, I guess the most exciting thing for us is for the new sugar-free product that's at, at, on the shelf at Coles, but also we've just done some um, of our first shipments to the USA, which is um, really exciting. So that's um, a real area of growth for us um, that we can't wait to explore and, you know, push into new markets uh, with this amazing Australian, Australian made Australian dairy, hundred percent Australian dairy product. Uh, so good. We have lots of listeners from the United States. I'm sure they're going to be wondering what's the product that they should be looking for. Where, where can they get it? Is it available in all States? Yeah, we're, at the moment we're available in um, Texas and in the Midwest uh, at Costco warehouses. So super exciting. Amazing. And they're looking for the Licks boxes? Yeah, no, 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 little mini frozen yogurt cups. Fantastic. And it says Twisted Treats on it, doesn't it? Yes, yes. How can listeners get in touch with you online, Cass? You and Twisted, but I'm sure you're going to be inspiring a, a lot of um, people here of all ages. Um, and uh, I'm sure they might have some questions for you. So how can they get in touch? Um, we are Twisted Healthy Treats on Instagram and also Facebook. And our website, which is twistedhealthytreats.com.au, there is a, an email address on there, which I an account that I look at every day. Hello at twistedhealthytreats.com.au. So always happy to talk to anybody that wants to reach out. And, um, yeah, happy to, happy to have a chat. Fantastic. Um, and you're also, of course, um, like many, many professionals are available on, on LinkedIn, Great. Um, but please personalize, personalize your invite. If you are going to add Cass, um, uh, to say that you listen to the show, I'm sure she'd really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, Cass, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I could talk to you all day. This is honestly <laughs> so so insightful. Really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, it was a really great chat. I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much. You did not disappoint. Appreciate you. And uh, I'll link everyone with all the links Cass mentioned in the uh, show notes when this goes up in a little bit. Thanks, Cass. No worries. Thank you. 
Dear Giants, thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful you've chosen to spend your precious time listening to this interview with Cass Spies. Please send her a hi and hello over on her Instagram. I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. Her handle is Cass Spies. That's C-A-S-S-P-I-E-S. Or find her on LinkedIn and leave her a note on there. Plus, if you're in Australia, try Twisted Treats if you haven't already. Uh, And they're also in selected locations in the USA. I highly recommend you grab the sugar-free vanilla latte licks. Mind-blowing. Keto and diabetic friendly and super delicious as well. You've got to try it. Now, if you're enjoying these episodes, one massive way that helps keep the show going is leaving an iTunes review. Please head to giantthinkers.com slash podcast review. It'll take you to the review page on iTunes. I read and appreciate every single one and it helps get the show in front of more people who may need these stories and insights from our world-class guests. Of course, subscribe on there too and on Spotify the same if you're a listener there. A little teaser for our next guest. She is an Australian comedian, writer, TV and movie actor and Dancing with the Stars 2020 winner. She is in fact the first comedian I've interviewed on the show and has brought so much joy and laughter to millions of households. Subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app iTunes, Spotify, or others, and you'll be notified when this episode goes live very soon. For any questions regarding the podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on my Instagram handle. Uh, send me a message to the Giant Thinker. You can find me there on that handle, and uh, would love to hear from you. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Cass when she spoke about lockdown giving her some time to have space and realize that she doesn't need to hover over the day-to-day of all the operations uh, and the tasks involved with that she said i've got aspirations to grow this business to dizzy heights and i'm never going to be able to do that if i'm down in the weeds 